0: welcome back for another episode of the Post Money Plan podcast. My name is Dallas Post and I am your host. As you know, I believe empowerment comes through knowledge. So my purpose here is to inform, educate and stimulate thought within personal finance, economics and investing. You can find me at postmoneyplan.com or search the Post Money Plan in the iTunes podcast app or in Google Play. All right, so I wanted to squeeze an episode in before Christmas on advertising and defending against advertising as a consumer, because there's so much advertising going on around Christmas that's getting you to spend money on things that you don't need to buy and stuff like that. So I thought it'd be timely to talk about some of the techniques that advertisers are using, being aware of that kind of stuff, and being on guard of it as a defense mechanism. So I've brought my trusty friend, Brett Bollinger, back on the show, who's the uh, marketing skeptic How do I want to? (laughs) (laughs) No, I believe in it. (laughs) The professional frugalist Brett Bollinger back on the show (laughs) to uh, discuss a little bit about it. So welcome back to the show, Brett. Hi, Dallas. Thank you. Glad to be here. So um, you're going to be spending a bunch of money over Christmas, right? Not too much, Dallas. (laughs) (laughs) But a little bit. (laughs) The big thing that kills me with advertising is not that advertising is evil or bad or anything, but people fall prey to things that they don't necessarily need to be participating in or buying that is not necessarily appropriate for them or in their best interest, which kind of goes against the whole purpose of of the system, in my opinion. To have money just thrown away and that you're spending money on things you don't need seems like such a waste to me. But I just wanted to start it off with What do you think are the things that people should be on guard against when being subject to advertising and especially Christmas marketing and all that kind of stuff?
1: Yeah, I think that the purpose of advertising is, I think, where we should start tonight. There are a few intents behind advertising. The biggest, of course, is just to convince you to buy something, and that can be something that you meant to buy, and they're accelerating the purchase. It can be something that you didn't mean to buy which is something you want to avoid. Or it can be something where they're making you aware of a product and trying to convince you of something that may actually be a benefit to you. And there are a couple of different ways they'll attempt to do those things.
0: The thing that kills me is that like, advertising really targets suggestible people. There's a lot of suggestibility associated with advertising. If you are easily swayed in your opinion or how you feel about things or what you should do based on what someone else tells you, then you can easily be blown by the wind and convinced to buy something that you didn't previously want or need or have any interest in. Your opinion or desires can be changed easily into deciding, oh, well, I really need this. That kind of irritates me just on a societal level that people are kind of being taken advantage of sometimes.
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting to note, too, that the average uh, millennial actually spends more than they make on average. So that's a rather alarming trend as well.
0: That's impossible.
1: (laughs) But America in particular really is fueled by consumer debt and, and demand and consumption of services. So it's a very prevalent thing in today's society.
0: All right. So let's get back to it. Why should we be on guard against advertising?
1: Well, the idea is that you want to be in control of your spending and you want to be making rational decisions about what you're doing. And you have goals about what you want to achieve in your life financially and advertising can get in the way of those goals. It can convince you to buy something you don't need, it can convince you to pay too much for something that you want already, and it can convince you to just do something that you didn't even t- intend to do from the start.
0: This goes back a little ways, but back in I think it was the 60s, people and even Congress started to get really paranoid about subliminal advertising or subliminal messaging. Whoever it was like found out that they could kind of slip in messages that you might not even consciously acknowledge or recognize that would seep into your unconscious and be in your mind without you really being aware of it, and that could influence your opinions and behaviors.
1: Yeah, so I have a funny story about this. So I think back in that time, they were thinking about having a short images flash on the screen that you wouldn't really realize were there, but that could still kind of influence you. And so when I was in seventh grade, I took a class in animation. And as a it's kind of a test, half was a joke, but half hoping it would work. We had 30 frames per second, so we had 30 pictures to draw per second. And so every few minutes during our 10-minute thing we'd flash the letter A on the back of the screen and hope that our teacher would see that. But unfortunately, 30 frames per second is not fast enough. And so when we showed it, we got to the end. And he's like, did I catch a couple of A's flashing up there? I'm like, what are you talking about? But if you're going to try that in the future, I'd recommend that, that you not use 30 frames per second. Maybe Maybe a lot faster than that would be better. But yeah, there's different ways to do it, too. Uh, So I think product placement inside of popular TV shows is one of the more popular ways now to do that. So if you go watch Friends or some other TV show, you'll see Kellogg's Rice Krispies or something like that in there. And it's not overt in your face or like a flicker of an image, but it's just product placement It's one of the more popular ways today.
0: Or just in movies in general, product placement is a big thing. And it'll be very subtle, where they don't mention anything, but you always see them throughout the movie drinking Coke as opposed to Pepsi or whatever, and just that frequency of a specific brand is subtly changing your desires to have Coke instead of Pepsi.
1: Oh, the James Bond cars, you know, James Bond for the longest time drove an Aston Martin, then he switched to BMW. It's like, oh, that's interesting, an Englishman driving a br- <laughs> <laughs> driving a
0: German car. And uh, I forget when it was, but they restricted smoking on screen of either shows or movies because a lot of cigarette companies were marketing that way. Having actors smoking during a lot of scenes and seeing that would make people want to buy cigarettes and then their cigarettes sales did well from that.
1: Yeah. Kids especially are very easily influenced when they're young because they are kids. <laughs> kids are very easily influenced when they're young and that makes them more susceptible to probably smoking as well seeing that on tv and and ads probably led to the moratorium on that
0: so then there's kind of decisions being made for you but then there's also just you making the choice to buy things that you don't really need like i have no use for a drone but then if i saw a commercial where i saw a drone flying around i looked all cool like oh i gotta go buy a drone and then i buy it and have zero use for it (laughs) so
1: i'm at risk for that purchase as well (laughs) if we're being honest (laughs)
0: But that also piles into just like spending money that you can't afford to spend. An advertisement can really convince you to do that, to be spending money that you you don't really have. An example that I think of would be you may have a car for the family that can get your needs met in terms of getting the family around. But you see an advertisement for another car and you think, oh, maybe I could get a second car and it'd make it convenient for our family to get around to multiple places at one time. So oh, maybe we should buy the second car, even though it's not within your finances to be able to afford that. And you'd really be stretching yourself. But because of the advertisements, you're convinced that it'd probably be better that we did that.
1: Oh, yeah. And you see everybody everybody and their brother trying to advertise cars in particular. What's the name of that actor? Is this in the Lincoln commercial? He does a little hand thing while he drives.
0: <laughs> Matthew McConaughey. Matthew McConaughey. That's right.
1: That's right. You can be exactly like Matthew McConaughey if you buy a Lincoln
0: MKX. I think he did his first commercial. Right after he won an Oscar from Dallas Buyers Club, he wins an Oscar, and then he does that Lincoln commercial. And then (laughs) SNL did a skit on him, just like, which was spot on. (laughs) (laughs) Go from winning an Oscar to uh, doing a car commercial, really going up in my career. (laughs) (laughs) I think there's also a risk to be potentially misled by false claims and false advertising, which is less of an issue nowadays with all the consumer protection laws in place in America. But there still is a lot of like multi-level marketing schemes and things like that. Or now with like the craze in Bitcoin and stuff, there's people saying like, oh, we can guarantee you 25% returns and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, I'll come out and name a couple other ones too. <laughs> essential oils were really popular. Um, no medical benefit whatsoever, but yet people make claims that they sleep better, whatever else. And what's interesting is it's not the company that makes the essential oils that makes those claims, but it's people that you usually know. So they're incentivized to make claims, but the company itself never makes them. So it's kind of a, a peer network that develops there. Plexus as well, very popular right now. What's that um, one? Plexus, it's a pink drink. Some people will sell that and make the same type of benefits. Next year, there'll be another one. Next is perhaps. <laughs> but lots of claims, yeah. Lots of claims that aren't backed up or FDA, whatever.
0: Okay, so what would you say are some common tricks, like quote unquote <laughs> tricks, that are used in advertising that you should watch out for?
1: Well, I just renewed. I just went, I didn't renew, but I went downstairs to uh, renegotiate my apartment rent. And I walked in there and said, Look, guys. He's like, Oh, I've got a great deal for you. Okay, what is it? He wanted $75 more per month. And I was like, that seems like a lot, you know, $75. And he's like, well, you know, that's that's really not that much at all. I was like, dude, that's a grand a year. <laughs> and he thought about it. He's like, okay. So he goes to the back. And uh, this is at 6 o'clock. So I walked down there about six or 5.50. The office closes at 6. So I'm talking to him about 6 o'clock. And he says, okay, look, I'm going to go. I'll see what I can do. Gives me a little winky face. And he goes, walks to the back. He's like, I'll print something off. So he goes, walks back there. And I used to work for a printing company and printers do not take five minutes to print pages. <laughs> so he goes back there. I don't know what he was doing, checking Facebook or something. And then he goes to uh, the manager's office, make sure I see him, walks in there. And then he comes in there and then, and then the other one, I don't know if this is planned theatrics or what, but the the other employee walked into the manager's office as well and opened the door. And as they open the door, <laughs> I hear the loud voices within. And then he comes down another five minutes later. So it's been about 10 minutes now. So it's 6, 10 p.m., 10 minutes past closing. And he comes out. He's so like, I did a great job for you. I pulled some <laughs> strings. I did my little dance. Maybe you heard me in there. <laughs> <laughs> so I look at him, the questioning gaze, and he's like, I think you're going to be really happy with what I did for you. I did a lot. And he's like, what I can do, he sits down in his chair, looks across to me very earnestly, as earnest as a salesman can get. And he says, I can offer you $50 a month increase. But you have to sign right now. And then he looked at me and I looked at him and I was like, no. I just looked at him and said, no, that's ridiculous. You know, it's 6, 10 p.m. Why is it so urgent? You didn't even know it was going to come down today. And here you are telling me that you've done a great job by asking me to pay an extra $600 a year. I was like, that's
0: crazy. I will not be renewing. And so that was the end of it. So that's a good example of just a false sense of urgency. Forcing a decision, or that it's like you have to make this purchase now, or else it's gone.
1: Oh yeah, and then they come by and they say, "Oh, if you don't take this offer, we will lease your apartment out." I look at it and I was like, "Well, yeah, I mean that's what apartments are for—they get leased out." (laughs) I mean, mean, surely you're not going to leave this empty like like Michael Jordan's jersey, you know? And just say, "Oh no, no one can have apartment three two two five ever again." Brett lived there, (laughs) but it's the false urgency is a big one. Saying that the price is good is another one. Saying, "Oh, this is a great price."
0: talking about other people wanting it as well. So that's actually mixing in the suggestibility of other people think this is a good price, but then also them directly suggesting to you that it's a good price when it may not be. Just to take that in less marketing terms, to use an objective versus subjective example, I was thinking about like if you got an 85% on a test of some kind, objectively, you've got 85% of the answers right. But it, the way you feel about that can be dependent on the way people talk to you about it. If your friend says, oh, that's a really sucky grade, that's terrible, then you're like, oh, yeah, it's not that great. Neither are your friends at that point. <laughs> <laughs> but if your teacher says, oh, no, this is really good, this is a really good grade, then all of a sudden like, you change your mind. Even though it's an objective number, those two different opinions can completely change your mind on that objective measure. Kind of going along with the false urgency is the false scarcity, which is... What you're saying about, we're going to rent out your apartment and there won't be any left. This is really done a lot by Apple with their phones when they have a new phone coming out. They get people to line up around the store a day in advance. You think they don't want to make money off you? That they're not going to sell you a phone? (laughs) Is there really that scarcity? We were down in those iPhone
1: mines and we only found 500. (laughs) (laughs) The vein's about tapped out.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, when you stop and think about it, it is pretty ludicrous. Any kind of scarcity in any marketing is really completely false because the company wants to make money. They want to provide you the service or good because they want to profit from and they're benefiting from you buying from them. So why would they make it difficult for you? Unless it's something that really is truly limited. Like Bitcoin. Bitcoin is extremely (laughs) limited. Which is very few and far between what actually is scarce. So that's definitely something to be aware of. Or how about just like false discounts? You know, around Christmas, they're marking things up a ton and then saying it's like 50% off. That really gets people a lot, I think. People are convinced that when they see something is 60% off, that it's an incredible deal. And a lot of times, it may actually be higher than whatever, like a fair price or competitive price is for something.
1: But I mean, 60% off is 60% off. It's it's hard to deny those savings. <laughs> I'm joking. But... <laughs> The thing with that that type of system, though, is you have to understand what something's worth and develop your value of what you think it's worth before you go and put yourself in that situation. So if I go look at apartment prices and I say, okay, Brett, I'm willing to spend $10 a month on an apartment and I go down there and they offer me 12 and then say, oh, someone else will pay it if you don't. Well, good for them. You know, you can never pay 20 percent. That's fine. But I think the vulnerability that we have in a lot of these things is an advertising trick is not knowing what something's actually worth or having our emotions override what we know it's worth and say, okay, I really want this. I was thinking about buying this anyways. I want it, and here it is. So I'll just buy it, even though I know it's possibly not the best price because I meant to do it anyways.
0: Yeah, exactly. And a lot of that knowing what something is worth is either what it's usefulness to you or the price that you could get it somewhere else. Let's say a men's dress shirt or something. If you know that you could get a decent men's dress shirt somewhere for like 30 bucks, but then you see it on sale somewhere else, 60% off, but the price after the sale would still be $70. Then is it really a good deal or are they just marketing and the advertising is baiting you into thinking it's a good deal?
1: Yeah. And there's different tricks with that as well. I bought a shirt from Dillard's. It was their house brand shirt and it was on sale marked down from $90 a shirt, mind you, down to 30 which had 29 I think, or something like that, Ooh, which is where I I, I it. called that price. Those savings are significant. but here's the thing i don't think they ever sold that shirt for 90 dollars. they might have sold it for one day possibly just to say that that was actually a price that somebody some poor guy bought it for but the funny bit about that was after i bought that shirt i went out to a concert with a friend and it wasn't a bad shirt but he shows up wearing a very nice Joseph A Bank premier whatever their top one of their fancy brands and we were wearing the exact same shirt I kid <laughs> you not so he he goes over to me and says oh that's a nice shirt you have there it's like oh thank you yours is quite dandy as well and, uh, and then he, Says, oh, it's Joseph A. Bank, right? The the whatever collection it is. And I was like, no, uh, Dillard's finest. <laughs> and so we spent the next five minutes comparing our shirts. Everything from the buttons to the sewing to how many seams there were, to the stitch count per inch, to the material thickness. It was the same shirt. For all extensive purposes, it was the same shirt. But he had probably
0: paid double or triple what I had <laughs> from my <laughs> Dillard special.
1: But always be careful with those false discounts.
0: Yeah. The other side of the coin to the same issue is just when companies will advertise or market through premium pricing. And that then creates this false sense of quality sometimes. I mean, higher quality items can cost more to produce and therefore they charge more for the product. But sometimes a higher price is charged not necessarily because it's better, but just to create the perception that it's better and that scarcity. The high price will make it seem like it's more valuable. One interesting
1: thing too is outlet
0: malls, it's actually not the
1: same product as you get at the mall, mall. So if you go to like Brooks Brothers in the mall and you go to Brooks Brothers, the outlet, it's not the same product. It'll be the 1818 thing in the, in the mall and then it'll be the, uh, the 346 brand outside or the same thing in the Republic. So it's not always the same quality clothing or anything else that you'll get over there. It's sometimes the seconds from the factory or anything else like that. But it's interesting because it's not really quite a discount because you're having a cut in quality as well as the cut in price. So even though the price looks lower and the brand's the same. It's maybe not the same product still.
0: So you mentioned this with the urgency and the discounts, but how should people be avoiding the traps and the pitfalls of advertising? Yeah, the easiest way is just not see the advertisement in the first place. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so if you, if you have TiVo or something like that, where you can kind of block the ads, that's a, that's a great way to start. I think the other thing is to just, especially when, you, when you're in a season, that you usually buy think more things than you're used to. Um,
0: well, let's say like, okay, now in Christmas, like people are running around trying to get Christmas gifts and they're seeing tons of advertising. How should they be on guard and avoiding those pitfalls?
1: I think the first thing is just to be aware that it's happening. The second is to figure out what your reaction is going to be when you see it. You could, for example, have a fun game of it and just laugh at how they're trying to get you to buy it. So that way you're conscious of it and having some enjoyment at their expense as well. But I think having a purpose in what you're trying to purchase and saying, look, I'm getting these three, five, 10, whatever things it is. This is my price point for each. And then if you want to, you have some reward at the end where you say, okay, if I've kept all my purchases within this thing, then I get an ice cream cone or whatever the, the, whatever the, I like ice cream. I'm going to treat myself. (laughs) But that's the thing too, is that the treat yourself mentality (laughs) is it has been coined so well from, was it Parks and Rec that did that? Treat yourself. I'm sure one of our listeners has has seen the (laughs) treat yourself episode, which is quite good. And I, I heartily recommend it. But what happens is in the episode is uh, they go through each year and then there's one day a year where they treat yourself (laughs) and the rest of the year they pinch pennies, you know, they don't spend money. But on the treat yourself day, you can buy anything you want. But what you don't want to do is start associating spending with having a reward. So if you start thinking, oh, I've been really good on this, I'm going to splurge on this thing, or it'd feel really good to buy this thing, you know, it's, it's good to not starve yourself so that you succumb easily to seeing advertisements. So I think understanding what you're trying to buy and knowing what the game is, the two big things, and then also just not starving yourself to the point where anything looks good.
0: Yeah, I think that actually relates to like food diets, too. Yeah, if people are just absolutely starving themselves for like some 30 day extreme diet, then they end up ruining it at the end of the 30 days because they're so deprived that they then go crazy afterwards.
1: Yeah, I did the uh, Daniel fast this last year, and that was a trail of tears for me. Uh, my diet consists largely of meat and animal products. So <laughs> so um, not having the Daniel thing is just vegetables. You eat vegetables, and I don't even know if you can get fruit. But all I eat is meat and cheese and <laughs> milk usually. So it was a significant caloric reduction. And I remember uh, calculating that um, I was feeling very hungry by like, day two or three, and so I thought, I'll just eat some more. So I go to Costco and get some, uh, it's like sliced potato or something like that. But then I calculated how many pounds of sweet potatoes I'd have to eat per day to get my usual calories. And it was six and a half pounds. And I was like, oh man, I'm never going to make it. <laughs> and in those times, you know, you go home and you find that questionable looking piece of ham in the back of the refrigerator that's been there for two months that you forgot was there. And you're like, oh, that looks really good. It's got some mold on it. That's a vegetable. But, <laughs> but you don't want to be that guy. You don't want to be that guy that looks at the on like Wednesday halfway through the Daniel fast and sees that mole on that ham and you're like, that looks pretty tasty.
0: Don't be that guy. But just bringing it back to what you were saying before that, I think one of the best measures to control your emotions and get caught off guard by a spontaneous emotional purchase is planning out what you're going to buy. Especially, you know, if you're talking about Christmas gifts, if you have a list ahead of time of this person, this gift that you pre-identified is what you're looking for, you're less caught up in the deals of the day or whatever. is just very urgent and temporary sales and that kind of stuff. And you're only searching for specifically what you're trying to find. And once you set the limit, you can't cross that
1: limit. If you decide you're going to spend $20 on Aunt Jemima, don't spend 21 if it's something that she'd really like and it's $22, you know, carefully consider that. And if you've been bad with your spending before, just say, too bad, Aunt Jemima gets the Furby, not the <laughs> Lexus.
0: Or if, you, if you're if you having trouble getting all the Christmas gifts or figuring out how, like, how much you would spend, if you say, okay, on average, if I'm going to spend a certain amount per person that I'm getting a gift for or whatever your strategy would be so that you know ahead of time... You put all those together and how much you're going to spend. And you have kind of like a a plan of how much you're spending towards all these gifts and things.
1: And if you need to do the Dave Ramsey thing where you put cash in envelopes, that's a legitimate strategy. Maybe just don't let people see you using the envelopes. (laughs) 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 Those tend to come out a lot around
0: Christmas time. But just in terms of fighting against the advertising, I think a big thing, just don't believe the hype. The deals are never as good as they're advertised like we were saying before I think if you're benchmarking against other sources that's going to help you a lot and if you're talking about something that doesn't have to be a christmas gift and that can you can just buy whenever then don't be scared into the urgency of it and know that it's going to be available in the future and there there will be another opportunity to buy something and for heaven's sake don't go single source on your gifts
1: like <laughs> get some competitive bids going you can't, don't just walk into best buy and buy every single gift for everybody in that store you know shop around and get the good deal on the TV from one place and the, the good deal on the Furby from the next place and the good deal on the music from the other place. Don't just go into one store and buy everything there because it's convenient. Make sure you get the best price for those things as you buy them.
0: Or a good strategy nowadays is to be looking up benchmark prices online. And then if you're going to physically go to stores, you could like look things up on Amazon, Walmart, wherever online write down some approximate prices, and then when you're going out to stores, if you see deals and stuff, and they're better than your benchmark prices online, then you can go ahead and buy that. Let's say you're a really emotional person, emotionally charged or compulsive person, and spending seems to gratify that feeling. That can be a problem for people that develop a shopping addiction. Just being in a place where there's lots of things that you could potentially buy, that, that's a thing. The solution there would be to remove yourself from the temptation and not be walking around malls or other places like that and make a list, like we were saying before, of exactly what it is you're trying to get and for who or whatever. Then it's very intentional and premeditated and you're taking as much emotion out of it as you can.
1: One thing that you can do if you are an emotional buyer is get an accountability buddy to go with you. <laughs> what, what's a better word for this? No, that's good. <laughs> an accountability buddy? Okay. But an accountability buddy to go shopping with you. That way it's not just you going in there alone and facing the advertisers. But take someone with you and say, look, I'm trying to get these three items. Don't let me buy the iPhone speaker set for $200. Don't let me buy the
0: drone. Don't, yeah, <laughs> don't, yeah. don't buy the drone. No, I, th- I think that's actually more effective than you would think. A second party being involved in a decision-making process really anchors the ship a bit.
1: Yeah, but definitely define what you want them to help you with, and then you can help them as well. That's something they're vulnerable with. But definitely write it down and then figure out what your price range is before you go in there. And if you see it on sale, but it's not really on sale, don't go for that. Find it from somewhere else or at least understand and be okay with the idea that you're paying more than you really should be for that service.
0: So final thought... Give yourself the gift this Christmas and leave some money in your savings account. (laughs) All right, uh, catch us next time on another episode of the Post Money Plan Podcast. Cheers.